Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. John 14, 1-14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We spoke about that, about how the disciples' hearts were troubled through the conversation that Jesus had in the upper room. This is the upper room discourse or the farewell discourse that we're still in. They're still in this upper room here. The Holy Chapter 14 is in this upper room with now the, the 11. And their hearts are deeply troubled because of Jesus telling them he's going to depart from them and then everything else that's going on. And then he goes on and says, In my father's house are many mansions, one big house. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how we can know the way. Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient. And Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip, rebuking Philip, but also the rest. And Philip's kind of speaking on their behalf. He who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I I'm in the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works himself. Verse 12 to 14, which we really honed in on last week. Most assuredly, I say to you, he believes in me. The works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do. And we talked about these verses last week. This is the verses we've really been in for weeks now. Uh, the greater works being predominantly soul winning. Uh, and anything in my name that we talked about last week, I know it was challenging for many people, especially in the challenge of prayer and preparing our hearts before we even pray and what we pray for. Uh, the prayer and the, the motive behind prayer, our heart towards prayer and the purpose to glorify God. And as anything in my name truly starts by knowing him, as we know, and to truly know him would never ever as... Uh, think it wasn't about pleasing him uh, and we'll, we'll be learnt that and we talked about that last week so in all things thy will be done and I remember a well-known preacher talking about some this is a good few years ago now and he was talking about uh, we have not because we ask not you ever been part of a charismatic church you've heard some like this you have not because you ask not uh, and, and then I remember he said this and he says does any any want a big TV does any of want a big TV? No, I don't know a guy. Doesn't he want a bigger telly? It doesn't matter what size of telly is. A guy wants a bigger one. Does anybody want a, a TV? 
And it, when he says that at the time, you know, you're in that world, you're going, I, I kind of knew that wasn't right, asking God for a TV. But when you truly know Christ, you ain't asking ever for a big television. In fact, if you truly know Christ, you ain't asking him for anything material whatsoever. There's only people that would not know Christ that would ever ask him for materialistic things, ever. Uh, although that's often taught. A few years ago, I got a random email. It's a good few years ago, I got a random email from a woman who came through at the church for me and who asked me to pray for a relationship. It was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a painful email. I could hear the pain in the email because it would take somebody desperate to write to a stranger to ask this. And the person wrote us an email. I don't know how many other pastors she'd wrote to, but she'd certainly wrote to me. Uh, and she asked me if I can pray to God to help her get a relationship with her boyfriend back together. No, you feel the pain in that, didn't you? Uh, because he dumped her and she knew that it was the one that was going to make her happy. Uh, a sad email, and it, especially from a woman I didn't know. And I remember thinking, because I knew the pain, no, I would never know get back and write something. But I knew I would never ask God, why would God ever grant, think about it, why would God ever grant you Something that would make you worship somebody other than him. And I mean, it's crazy to think that God would give you something that would make you love that other thing. You know, I've heard people saying this in the past. Oh, you know, God brought this guy to my life. I was like, right, you're no in church now. So I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it wasn't God that brought that guy to your life. Or maybe it was, but we'll need to wait and see what the outcome ends up. But it doesn't look like it to me. And why would God do that? So uh, I remember writing back and saying something like I'm sorry about your pain you're going through and I'll be praying for you uh, presuming the woman wasn't a believer also told her about Christ and saying that he would never leave her nor forsake her and that's who she'd lean on and her pain and stuff and if she ever needed any more help we got in touch never heard anything again um, I've had a million prayer, prayer requests uh, about someone's carnal desires millions of prayer requests Whatever you pray for in my name and the context can be added. Whatever you pray for earnestly in my name. Now that doesn't mean that we pray harder for the wrong thing. But we truly pray. If I say it this way. The greatest prayers you can pray is the prayers you want to avoid. Okay, everybody knows your avoidance prayer. Everybody's got avoidance prayers. You've maybe never heard this before, but hey, here you go. Avoidance prayers are the greatest prayers you need to be praying. And many of us have avoidance prayers. Too many believers are praying. Avoidance prayers. You're praying about everything other than that thing you should be praying about. And you know what you should be praying about. You know, uh, you don't want to pray them. And many believers don't want to pray them. Because they know exactly when they bring God into that domain, they're not ready to give it up. They're not ready to depart from it. They're not ready to walk away from it. And we pray avoidance prayers. Real prayers, heart gut-wrenching, agonisamai, to agonise, it talks about in scripture. Agonising prayers. Those are the ones we need to say, thy will be done in. And if I had to ask this morning or around you who's listening here anywhere, you're like, when was the last time or you, you prayed a non, totally non-avoidance prayer? A prayer that's not avoiding anything that you know, well, I'm not ready to let go of that. I've got dependency issues. I know I've got chronic dependency issues. I'm, I don't want to pray the prayer to get rid of that in a, such a deep, 
heart-wrenching way, I've got financial issues, I've got a million, whatever it may be. And there are prayers that we don't pray because we're not ready to deal with what that prayer may entail. Instead of a, I'm not talking to that about God because I'm not, I'm not quite ready to let that go or face it. That's the prayers that we need to pray more than any other prayer. And if I say that to you, when you're like, I know exactly the prayer you mean. There's no person here who's listening to that. No, Mark, I know exactly the prayer you're talking about. I know exactly the prayer you're talking about that I need to be praying. The, the prayer that I'm avoiding because I'm still wanting to spend it on my selfish desires. Or I'm not ready to face the pain or the loss of that. So I miss that prayer. I can I just avoid that prayer. The Greek word, as I said, is agonisomai, where we get the word agonize, to strive, to labor fervently. Colossians 4.12, Paul, when he was writing to the church in Colossae, mentioned Epaphras, and it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayer. Agonizing, that's the word agonisomai, fervently in prayer, that you may stand perfect. What's, what's the purpose of agonizing prayers? That we may stand perfect, complete, in the will of God. In order to stand perfect and complete, it takes those type of prayers. The avoidance prayers, the prayers that you know you need to pray. These are, they're the true John 14, 13 and 14 prayers. There are other prayers, of course. John Wesley, the, the Baptist Methodist, founder of the Methodist Church, said in prayer, God will do nothing but an answer to prayer, whether we think of or speak to God, whether we act or suffer for him, all is prayer. When we have no other object than his love and the desire of pleasing him, proceed with much prayer and your way will be made plain. And I want to just put this caveat out. In a sense, it's a wonderful thing that you know that. It's the Holy Spirit that's taught you that you're avoiding prayer. Only the Holy Spirit can teach you that you're avoiding prayer. It's not the flesh that's taught you that, it's the Spirit that's taught you that because you know what you're avoiding. You know what you're not praying. I should be praying for that. I should be letting that go. I should be. I really don't need to explain it because you know what it is in your life. Yeah. Okay, let's go now for the, the main text for today. After the challenge, obviously, uh, and the rebuke from Jesus, after all the shock, the troubled hearts, Jesus is about to share something so profound. Few scriptures of any are more deeper or comforting and profound or mysterious as the next seven, maybe more than that, 12 verses or so. In fact, the rest of the chapter, apart from the end few verses of 14, are all taken up by the promise of the Holy Spirit. So over the next couple of weeks, that is what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be unpacking who is the Holy Spirit and what is the purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we have spoke of Jesus and the Father as one, but we also know as believers that there's a triune God, there's a Father, there's a Son and the Spirit. Uh, we have God the Father who's, if we, if we word it this way, we have God the Father who's the creator. 
We have God the Son, who is the redemption, and we have God the Spirit, who is the sanctification. Is maybe the best way of looking at one God, three distinct parts, three distinct roles, but all the same God. Jesus has already explained him and the Father are one, but as obviously they're troubled, he's ready to explain to the disciples that he'll not leave them as orphans, as we'll see, that he's going to send another helper. Uh, Calvin puts it this way when talking about the distinction of the three parts. The Father is the initiation of every action, therefore makes him the original source of everything. To the Son he attributes wisdom, counsel, and the ordering of things. And to the Holy Spirit, the power and effectiveness of every work. Or he, he, he narrows it down. God, then wisdom, then power. End quote. If you truly want to study in depth the Holy Spirit, uh, John Calvin would be a, probably the best place to go, or one of the best places to go. Uh, or if you really want to dig deep into study, and if you can bear with it, uh, John Owen has got extensive works on who the Holy Spirit is and also the work of the Holy Spirit uh, and, his, and his works. It's, it's massively extensive. Each book alone is about 900 pages, and it's tiny writing. It's, it's extensive. Uh, but both are phenomenal uh, expositors of the Holy Spirit, which is known as pneumatology. So what's this, what pneumatology is, the study of the Holy Spirit or the work of the Holy Spirit. Pneuma in the Greek uh, means spirit or breathe, but it means spirit. And so pneumatology, the study and the spirit, the study of the spirit word. Uh, the, the spirit word, pneumatology. So the teaching of the Holy Spirit has became lesser and lesser and lesser in the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's the traditional church tend to ignore the Holy Spirit, so you'll have the traditional safe Church of Scotland can um, get safer and safer. No way back, but now you'll hardly hear any teaching in the Holy Spirit at all. The charismatic church abused the Holy Spirit, but the greatest problem that today is that the pragmatic church think they don't need the Holy Spirit. And many will be here coming from either, from probably, depends, maybe either a, a charismatic background into a kind of a pragmatic background or you've just been in this modern type church. And the chances are because of that, you'll have rarely heard sound, expository, pneumatology, teaching on the works and the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, because the modern church don't think they need the Holy Spirit. I have never in all the years, I'm, I've been in church many years now, I cannot recall, I can recall hearing teaching on it, I can never recall hearing sound teaching on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit ever. I, I was at a conference a few years ago and a, a well-known minister, well-known pastor for a mega church spoke for 110 minutes on the Holy Spirit, and I cannot remember a single word he says. The only thing I can remember about his message is, is he had a big eagle on the screen. It's the only thing I remember about it. It gave me no help whatsoever in understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. The pragmatic church rarely use the Holy Spirit because it's got psychology. The modern churches get psychology to get the result. 
You understand? It's got, it's got, it's got programs. It's got behaviours. It's got works. It's got classes. It's got all different permutations that no longer needs the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Therefore, it's never talked about. If any of you, I'll, I'll go as far as saying this, if any of you have ever heard a pragmatic teacher soundly explaining the Holy Spirit, come and tell me, because I have never met one, ever, ever met one teaching, sound teaching on the Holy Spirit, because it's omitted for the modern church. The charismatic church, it's abused. And the traditional church, it's ignored. So here we are, Jesus is in the upper room and this is why we need to understand the work and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And if I was to ask you this morning, you know what? If you were to go and write, if you were to go and stand in front of an audience or stand in front of a group of people and say, I want you to teach us about the Holy Spirit. How many could say, you know what, I could do that, no problem. And one of the reasons we don't is, is because it's hardly taught. So in the upper room, Jesus spoke to them how and and can I be honest with you? Let me just start here. This includes me. This includes me. And this is how it's so wonderful that as we, we get through John together, that we're in it together. And, you know, I've had to spend so many hours this week studying the Holy Spirit. And I'm going, oh. and I, I think I could explain the Holy Spirit. And then I go, you know what? That, they're not going to get that. I'm not going to get that. And it just becomes layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And honestly, I... I usually have hundreds of books. No hundreds, that's That's a lot. That's not even a lot. It's just an exaggeration, isn't it? I maybe have about 10 books when I'm studying for a message, commentaries, different things. On studying the Holy Spirit, I had about 15. My, my, my desk was sort of saturated in books. And it's so extensive and it's so deep. And in a sense, there's a mystery about it as well. So here's Jesus in the upper room. Jesus spoke to them how he and the Father are one. We spoke about that last week, that he's fully man, yet fully God. And the disciples are still no baptised. And this is important. The disciples are still no baptised yet. You know, one of the excuses we make, you know, like that, Peter walked with Jesus and look at, the state, look at the mess he was making. You know what you need to remember? Peter was the baptised in the Holy Spirit. We've got a lot less excuse. We make an excuse like, I'm no Peter. You know, Peter made a mess and he was walking with Jesus. I know, but Peter was not baptised in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, he had an advantage that he was right next to Jesus in the flesh, but at the time, now that does not mean that the Spirit didn't work in them at times, but they hadn't received baptism, same as the Old Testament. It didn't mean to say that people didn't, didn't have the Spirit of God in them at that point, but they weren't really walking fully baptised in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the disciples are still no baptised in the Holy Spirit. That doesn't happen until the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. Pentecost meaning 50 days. Pen 50th day after Jesus resurrect resurrected, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. We, will get, we were in that way last year. We'll get back into it again probably. I don't know when we'll get there. So it's, we're at the moment here 53 days away. In the upper room, 52, 53 days away, give or take a couple of hours, away from the Holy Spirit coming. But he's promising them this because they're distraught. You're going to leave us. 
However, the disciples can't comprehend us. These verses really explain who the Holy Spirit is. These whole verses and purpose of the Holy Spirit. G.C. Ryle has a brilliant 10-point message in the Holy Spirit and how he works in the believer. I, I, won't, I won't get through the... I'll get through the, the points quickly, but I won't spend any time saying them. Here are the 10 marks of the Holy Spirit by G.C. Ryle. We are made alive. So the Holy Spirit makes us alive. We're taught. We're led to the word by the Holy Spirit. We're convicted of sin by the Holy Spirit. We're led to Christ for salvation through the Holy Spirit. We're made holy through the Holy Spirit. We're spiritually minded, no longer carnally minded, through the Holy Spirit. We feel conflict between our old self and our new man through the Holy Spirit. We love all our brothers in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we're taught how to pray by the Holy Spirit. If you let me, uh, we're taught in a charismatic Pentecostal church about the Holy Spirit. You definitely are going to have at best a slightly foggy understanding. Or at worst, full-blown heresy. If you're part of the modern church pragmatic teaching, you'll know very little because it's not been taught. And it's not been taught because they don't think it's needed. As we already mentioned. Often, as we said last week, people believe the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us power to do what Jesus did. Especially miracles. And that's not the role of the Holy Spirit. It's not for us to simply do what Jesus did. And, and that, listen, that's, that, it's not a blanket statement there. Eh? You could go, ah, oh, but it said this. You understand in the context. Then why can't we have, we have Christ? People will say, we've got Christ within us. They say, well, that, that means because he is within us. All I need to do is tap into that and I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. He said, everything's out of context. Okay, let me just say this in this, <laughs> again, context. The Spirit does not make you automatically like Jesus, okay? Does not make you automatically like Jesus overnight. If the Spirit made you automatically Jesus overnight, we are serving some Jesus at the moment when you see the, some of the behaviours in our lives. Okay? There's more than that. Okay, if you just stop there, you go, oh. Sometimes in university, the, the professor or somebody's teaching and they'll say something and, no, you've, you, you've got eager minds Listen, you go, no, and, and they keep on, need, they need to keep furnishing things. You go, if you, if you just stop there, it's not enough. Automatically, doesn't he make us automatically Jesus? If, if that was the case, we all serve a really pitiful Christ, don't you think? Don't you think we serve a pitiful Christ as soon as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're just the exact same as Jesus? The Spirit within us leads us to truth. It's the office John Owen talks about it's the office of Christ within us. But we need to, we need the Spirit to sanctify us, to make us complete in Christ. It says in the last verse that we'll read in a couple of weeks, that in verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit will come and teach us all things and bring us into remembrance all the things that I've said to you. 
It's the Holy Spirit that helps us remember. Some of you are like, I'll never remember these scriptures. I mean, some people can remember this. I can't remember all these scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit in you that will bring you a remembrance of the teaching and the works of Christ. Some of you are like, how long is it? See, when I first get saved, people used to like, honestly, it was like bingo numbers. It was like bingo numbers. I'll never get this. For that, ah, Romans 8, 24, and then it says here in Colossians 2, 6, I'm like, whoa, how long, that's going to take me forever. I don't even know what you're saying. I'll just be as well shouting, five and two, 52. <laughs> Eyes down for a full house. I've not got a clue. It'll take me forever to remember these. <laughs> this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, bringing all things to remembrance. So in effect, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that keeps both Christ alive in us. And it also leads us to kill the parts in us that is not of Christ. Because we're carnal. We're no carnal because we have Christ. But there is still the old man that grows corrupt according to his deceitful lust. So within us, there's there's. There's the Holy Spirit, which is the, the Spirit of God in us, but also as well as there's the carnal man. So the work of the Holy Spirit is really to flush out the carnal man so that we're left with just the Christ man, the Jesus man in us. And these verses we're going to read is going to go a long way to kind of explain that, hopefully, and hopefully through the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the word that will help us. Just quickly, and I won't get into it anymore at the moment, the Holy Spirit is not a cloud, nor is it a thick fog, okay? It's not an invisible ghost. Holy ghosts sometimes not helpful in modern day because we think ghosts, it's like, it's not helpful. <laughs> better spirit, spirit's better. Spirit's a better word for, for in, in our kind of, kind of, the way we process things. The Holy Spirit is a person. Okay? The Holy Spirit is a person. It's no separate from God and the Son. Therefore, when you see someone acting like a drunken psychopath, you know it's not the Spirit of God. Because you've never seen Jesus like a drunken psychopath. And in the pragmatic, in the, in the charismatic church, they've almost made the Holy Spirit some crazy cousin, some lunatic, assist, some lunatic who's got nothing to do with Jesus and God. The Holy Spirit is part, is the Spirit of Jesus and the Spirit of God. Therefore, if you see somebody running about, if you see somebody wholly laughing, and it's no something that Jesus would do. It's no the Holy Spirit that's doing it. It's, it's, it's really as simple as distinguishes that. Or if you see somebody starting to wriggle about like a worm with an itch. Oh, I could, as you turn to John, you'll remember that Jesus wriggled about like a worm with an itch. It's, it's, it's as simple as that to find out that that's no the Holy Spirit. Many things that are nowhere near as crazy as that because the Spirit will not act in another character out with God or out with the Son. It will act in the same 
character. It won't be out of character. Therefore, the starting point in understanding the Holy Spirit has to be in that prayer, that agoniso prayer. That's the leveller because it was Jesus' leveller. Okay, let's start opening up these verses. I'm going to read them and then we'll get through them up to verse 26, from 15 to 26. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. At that day you will know that I am the father. And you and me and I and you. He is my commandments and keeps them. It is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and says to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you, will you be present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. They are the verses that we'll get through over the next few weeks, okay? Let me read the first few verses again that we're going to get through in this short time we've got left. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray pray the Father and he will give you another helper that may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Okay, this section starts with if you love me. This is the starting point of all Jesus says in the next 12 verses. It's the the great test of the Holy Spirit. You don't love Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Can't have it. Simple as that. Again, being in Pentecostal church, I could see countless people desiring the Holy Spirit who have no love for God and even less love for people. In fact, I've had some very, very unloving Holy Spirit shoves. Really, really unloving. Oh no, the, the, the slain in the spirit. I, I, I've seen some really angry shoves over the years. Jesus, of course, is saying this to them that a true believer, he's talking to the true believers here. Judas is gone because the Holy Spirit could never dwell in a non-believer. That's why when you hear people praying demons out of believers, it's no biblical. It is not biblical to pray a demon out of a believer. Why? Because, do you know why it's not biblical to pray demons out of believers? Because it's not in the Bible. That's exact, that's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's not biblical to pray demons out of people because it's not in the Bible that a believer was ever demon-possessed. 
Oh, it's almost like you say that, how can the Spirit of God live in you in a demon? We can be unsanctified in areas, but, but no demon possessed. When someone says, well, I've seen or I experienced, this is often we hear, I say, well, the Bible never experienced it. And I'm going with what the Bible has experienced rather than what you've seen or felt. C.K. Barrett, another Methodist preacher, rightly says, John never allows love to devolve to sentiment or emotion. You read this whole part of Jesus saying, if you love me, you keep my commandments, and you realise, as John writes this, he's never reducing any conversation to gushy love at any point. And John's known as the apostle of love. John and Barrett rightly says, John never allows love to devolve to sentiment or emotion. Its expression is always moral and is revealed in obedience. All love of God is revealed in obedience. No feelings. I love that quote from Barrett because it sets the ground for one, what a true believer is and two, how they desire to save Christ and keep his commandments but also three, that's who the Holy Spirit dwells in. It's such a great litmus test again. I, I've met many people who, who claim to be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. Who keep no commandments. One of the things that we're seeing a lot of at the moment. In this, in this time is Christians attacking Christians. Shocking. You've got the young pastor in Canada who's in jail. And he's in jail for preaching the gospel. Never thought it would happen. It's happening. He's in jail for preaching the gospel. The young man, and his second name's Goats. Goats? Was he? Coats. No goats, Coats. He's in, he's in prison in Canada. He went to John MacArthur's seminary. He's in jail. and he, he was well, he, They were letting him out in bail in one condition. He stops preaching the gospel and he stops pastoring. He's still in jail. What a brave young man. And if you had to read what so-called believers are saying about that young man, it's appalling. If you would believe what so-called believers are saying about Dr. MacArthur at this moment in time, it's appalling. If you had to get a list, and listen, I'm not labelling myself anywhere near that, a list of things that people have said to me, a so-called brother in Christ, you would be shocked. Absolutely shocked, and it's horrible what's happening. The way so-called believers are attacking other believers. And it's everywhere at the moment. Yet the same people will be the same ones that's naming and claiming things and saying they're believers. What was the new commandment Jesus gave in chapter 13? Love one another. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is a commandment. If you keep my commandments, I will send you the helper, the paraclete. We'll get into that in a minute. I'll send you the helper, the comforter. And it's not saying, if, if you keep my, I will. It's like saying, a believer will. 
Jesus has shown how much he loves them and then they must show back also. No love of Jesus, no love of your brothers, no Holy Spirit. It's that simple. Verse 16 to 18. Now let me put a caveat out there. You go, ah, you know what, sometimes I'm no great. Sometimes I've done, I know. But we're talking about two different, just in case you go, I can't be saved. I've not got the Holy Spirit because I was really, really, really raging at somebody the other day. That's not the same thing. And I'll tell you why you know it's not the same thing because it never lasts. The Holy Spirit can never allow that to last for any length of time because you know it's not right. That's the old self mixing with the new man. Verse 16, 18, and I will pray in the Father, I will pray in the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells within you. This here is no referring just to these 11. Uh, this is referring in the way this is wrote. This is referring to all believers. It's a wonderful thing. I will pray and the Father will give you another helper. Other versions say comforter, advocate, counsellor, all names of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is parakletos. Parakletos. And parakletos is a, it means that one who is summoned to, to be at your side. is maybe the best way to say it. One who is summoned and called upon to stand with you, to walk with you, to work with you, to work through you, to be an advocate, to, to defend you, to protect you, to lead you, to plead for your cause. And I think for that reason, I think advocate's better. Sometimes when you say comfort or helper, this is just my experience. I was reading D.A. Carson. He was, he was kind of saying the same thing. And he says that often when we say helper and comforter, it kind of almost, it kind of messes. We, we almost make the Holy Spirit. We make the, the person of the Holy Spirit. We always make him like this big wrap blanket that wraps around about you and comforts you and gives you a big hug. No, but it kind of messes ways at times. So I think advocates, advocates better. Uh, I think John MacArthur in his direct way, as you know, Dr. MacArthur, is, sometimes you, you, you see all these commentaries and he just says something, just, he's so literal. You know, and it, you sometimes see it and you read these and it, it's no wrong, you, you have all these other things. John, Dr. MacArthur says this, he, he says, uh, and I think, he, I think he explains it as good as anybody else. He simply says, the Holy Spirit, one exactly like Jesus. So he says, just one exactly like, folk are like, amen, what could you know if you just told me that for? One exactly like Jesus. Hence why the Holy Spirit truly is a person. It's not to like to it or this thing. It's, it's a person. Amen. <laughs> no, and, and we have to see as a person, it's not just a power or a force. Again, Dr. MacArthur points that out. Also, let me add, Jesus is not asking in a way that, well, I hope he, I hope he says yes. No, I, will, I will go to the Father and I will ask it. It's not that kind of ask. It's like, I hope he doesn't say no. It's, 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 Jesus is saying that because he's given order. It's more about the order. The Father, then the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father. It's about, more about order 
than it is about asking and hoping that it happens. It's not a request the way we would think. Hendrickson says, the father gives him, the son sends him, he is the spirit of the father and the spirit of the son. So the father sends, gives the spirit, the son sends the spirit because the spirit is the father or is the spirit of the father and the son. In regards obviously to the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, it's not so much that, and I think it's like this, it's not so much that we become more powerful, although we do in a sense, but it's more that we become more richer. It's not that we, and often in the way the, the, the Holy Spirit's talk, certainly in the charismatic circles, it's, it's always about, in the Pentecostal circles, it's always about power. Power. More. Remember on that? More, 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 more. I don't think you've ever been in one of the queues where somebody's shouting more to you about 500 times. And all you want to do is, is I just want you to stop. I just want you to stop here because I'm actually... If somebody, to, if somebody, I'll, I'll go for this. If somebody to actually did that to me, then I would just rebuke them there and then tell me to stop. Instantly, just stop it, don't even. If somebody to stand up and date in here, it, would, it wouldn't last long. Because it would be truly grieving the Holy Spirit. And it's not so much that the Holy Spirit gives you power, although it will, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we know that. But it's, but it's more that you become fuller, more. It's, it's that you become Less you and more Christ. And in, in, in the work of that, it's a continuation. It's you become richer in Christ. Even though we were poor, we became rich in Christ. We, unlike the disciples, never walk with Christ in the flesh, uh, in this life, but we get to walk in him as believers. Every believer, we'll, we'll get to this another time, but you say every believer receives the, receives the Holy Spirit the second they're saved. Every single believer. It's not a separate event. Okay? Not a separate event. No. No, they, when Paul met them, you remember in the book of Acts, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? We don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. You remember? Around about Acts 12 or something. And then he says, well, who, who were you baptised in? He says, well, we're baptised into John. And the point was that, and that's often the scripture is used for a separate event for the Holy Spirit. But it's pretty obvious when he says we were baptised into John that they never fully believed in Christ anyway. They, they understood his teaching and they heard about him. They had heard the outward call of Christ. You understand? There's an outward call of Christ. Many, many people come to church and they've, they've heard that predominantly in the modern church there's an outward call of Christ. That'll help you feel better. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse is a brilliant, I've not wrote it down because I had too many quotes, but he wrote a brilliant thing about the outward call and the effectual call. The outward call will make you feel, and I'll paraphrase kind of what he says, the outward call will make you feel, maybe able to make you do, make better decisions. You, you, you'll start to uh, think a bit better and you know, morally you start living a bit better in your life. No, I could, you could probably go, you know what, I remember so-and-so was in church and parts of their life get better very quickly. The messiness kind of went. But they're nowhere to be seen now because there was, a, there was the outward call, but they weren't near the effectual call, which would be the inward call. And Barnhouse says the inward call doesn't so much deal with making you feel better outside and helping you live a wee bit better. It actually kills the plague within. 
So there are two differences. There's the, and in the, in the modern church today, it always seems to be the outward call and never the effectual call. And part of the reason is, is well, part of the reason is, is God's not saved them. That is, the, that is the sole reason, because it's the work of the Holy Spirit that saves people, not you. Never us. So not only believers receive the Holy Spirit, are we, are we okay here? Not only believers receive the Holy Spirit, but it dwells in us forever. Jesus says it dwells in us forever. Cannot lose it. At no point in the life of a believer will you not have the Holy Spirit. At no point. It may be dulled in your life because of your flesh flaring up, but at no point do you not have it. So here goes another myth. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit. A believer doesn't need to pray for the Holy Spirit. One baptism, many fills. That's what the people say, you know. The filling of the Holy Spirit is no an event either, okay? The filling of the Holy Spirit is... The filling of the Holy Spirit is that you're walking in the fullness of God, meaning the flesh has been crucified. I'll tell you when you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you'll know. You're studying the Word. I'll tell you when you're usually not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, when you're watching stuff you shouldn't be watching. Okay, that's when you're knowing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but you're still there because that's why you've been convicted. Okay? The fullness of the Holy Spirit is when, when God, the, the knowledge of God saturating your life, so it says about Peter and Peter in the fullness of the Spirit or, or Paul in the fullness of the Spirit. It's not that they went and get another event. You go to these charismatic guys, oh, we're having a, chari- we're having, we're having a Holy Spirit night. It's, it's the crucifying and the work and the sanctifying work of the Spirit that's killing the sinful man that makes us in the fullness. We can pray to be filled, but but it's not another fill and such, but awareness of who we are in the first place. It's a God conscious, if you want to call it. That's not always the best way to call it. When it says being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're referring to Peter and Paul, of course, or being saturated with all of Christ. We already are saturated with all of Christ. We just don't walk in it. So when Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he really does mean that literally. Isn't it sobering, don't you think, that it, that we have the Holy Spirit in us and then we think of what we got up to. You just go, ah, that's one of the ones, isn't it? You're grieving the Holy Spirit. Imagine you've got the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the Son in you and yet what we do. But yet, it says, well, I'll read it, Ephesians 4, 30, 32, and we've done this, member. we're studying Ephesians. And do, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamour, evil speaking, put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiven. You see the second part here? It's, it's talking about the, living the commandment. Forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. I need to bring this in. Verse 17. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him because, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The world cannot receive it because it neither sees Jesus nor knows him. The Holy Spirit is... 
often again as I go back, but as I think back in in the early days of church when I was in kind of Pentecostal slash charismatic churches. Some Pentecostal churches are not predominantly charismatic, but a lot of them are kind of a bit of both. Uh, and I remember being there and I was so young in my faith and we'd bring people and we would have, we'd have Holy Spirit nights. And sitting next to me would maybe have about four people who don't know Christ whatsoever and I'm thinking, we're having a Holy Spirit gift night and they're not even saved. I'll give you a problem here. As you start seeing people that are no saved, fate and gifts. Simon the Sorcerer, Acts 8, Ish, 7, 6. Anymore? <laughs> Run up at the end. Five, six, seven. Simon the Sorcerer. I think it's five. No, I think it's four. Oh, look, I don't know, right? He was able to act. He was able to behave. He was able to... Deceivers. Because they know not Christ, but yet they want these powers. Because we're not teaching Christ and I'm crucified. We're going straight, we're going straight for the jelly and cream. Whatever. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus calls it, is the spirit of truth. It's the spirit of all truth. Without the Holy Spirit, we know not truth. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses, as we know, Ephesians. We knew not the truth in any way. Now, does that mean that... I, I hear this saying, you know, about politicians. No, I, I don't believe the lie. Tr trust me, they're no saved, they lie. Okay, trust me, they're no saved, they lie. Believers can lie never, but non-believers lie. They're, they're, their God is, is, is the father of lies. And the work of the Spirit in us kills lies and leads us to all truth and the sanctifying work. The more we walk in Christ, the more we become like Christ and the more we know truth. Now that does not mean to say that, does that mean to say that people are no saved, no truth? Yeah, they know some truth, but they don't know that truth. There's a big difference. That's why it's so important in these seasons that you don't over-partner with people that know the truth about what's going on in this situation, but yet don't know the truth of who Christ is because it'll end up fragmented. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. Jesus abiding in us will lead us to what? All truth. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So when we start, you know, it's better saying it this, when you start, you know Christ, you know who he is, but you don't know all truth when you first get saved. The reason I fed you milk, because you could not feast on solid food. So there's a sanctifying work through the Spirit as it starts to kind of saturate your life. However, the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. I really need to close here. Because it knows not Jesus, therefore they know not truth. They know bits of truth. Jesus says, Danny, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What a comfort is, don't you think, more than that? What a, a gift from God we have an advocate and not one who does not understand our struggles. And this is what I'll close with here. We do not have a high priest who does not understand our struggles, our battles. What a wonderful thing is that we have the God, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ 
in us who's advocating, who does understand our struggles and is working in us. God works in us both to will and what? Do according to his good pleasure. Hebrews 4, 14, 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest. Don't be Christ. Who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses. Isn't that a wonderful comfort? You don't have a high priest. We don't have a, a God who cannot sympathise with our battles. He'll have little sympathy in a sense for chronic denial. As a pastor for many years, I don't have a problem really with people's struggles and battles at all. But their chronic denial is a whole different thing. But even in that, you can sympathise in a sense with the weakness. Weakness is understandable, we're human. We don't have a God who cannot sympathise with our struggles and our battles. Isn't that a wonderful comfort? No wonder he's called the comforter. Somebody who comes alongside, paracletos, somebody who stands alongside and is an advocate. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathise or witness, but was in all points tempted, yet without sin. And if we ask ourselves to be truly complete in Christ, it's, it's not that we would never be tempted, it's that we would never sin when we are. Only Jesus has been able to attain that. It's fully man. Let us therefore, which is wonderful. Obviously the writer in Hebrews is, is talking about salvation here in a sense. But let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. What a wonderful picture that we have a Christ who sits at the right hand of God, who sits, God who sits in the throne room of grace. And we've got access to that throne room of grace because he, Jesus has torn the veil. Therefore, we can approach the throne room of grace with boldness. That's why, it's, that's why we need to pray the prayers that we don't want to pray. <laughs> and we approach that throne room of grace with boldness. We can with the comfort of the Holy Spirit who pleads and brings our hearts, cries to him. The groaning sometimes of the heart, it says, because he's not without care or understanding of our plight and our struggle. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit promised to us to bring us into that deeper place of sanctification in Christ Jesus. This is the promise that Jesus is telling the disciples in the upper room. The Holy Spirit Therefore, is truly the author. Or if God is the author, the Holy Spirit is certainly the finisher of our faith. God works in us both to will and do according to his good pleasure. The work of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.13 The Holy Spirit is both the Spirit of the Son and the Spirit of the Father. Bringing us to completion. And then verse 18, therefore, such wonderful words to the disciples in the upper room. 
and also to us today. I will not leave you as orphans. And this is not so much I'll leave you as orphans as a father, so much to a son, but to a teacher, to his students. I will not leave you as orphans. I hope that has just started the ball rolling and starting to understand the work, the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. Such a, you know, do you ever think this, and as I'll close, can we ever be so blessed? As if it wasn't enough that Jesus, that God through his spirit rescues us from the pits of hell and despair. He didn't just rescue you from the pits of hell and despair and put you in a rock. He didn't just plant you in a solid ground. He didn't just rescue you while you were dead in your sins and trespasses. And his ultimate love, he wouldn't leave us that way. That he sends us the helper, the spirit breathed, work, the, the, the son and the father who rests within us and starts doing that amazing work. He's changing us. And you just think, wow, amazing grace, isn't it? Not just the saving faith, but the sanctifying work. That he who's began a good work will certainly bring it to completion. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. Thank you.